This episode of You Talking To Me was recorded a few weeks ago at the height of lockdown. Hello, I'm Philip Simon. And I'm Rachel Krieger. We are two Jewish comedians. I'm Reform. And I'm Orthodox. And this is the chat show that recreates the sensation of finding yourself on the miscellaneous table at your cousin Hannah's bat mitzvah. You're doing a great job of impressing everybody until your drunk uncle comes along and starts pinching your cheeks. Each week we'll bring you two of our favourite funny Jews to chat about their lives, their experiences growing up, how much Jewishness plays a part. On Shabbat, are they Torah or Torah of duty? Welcome to Jew Talking to Me! So Philip, what's the most Jewish thing that's happened to you this week? Well, obviously we've been in lockdown for a while and so we've not done much actual shopping. Uh, we've done some online shopping, but this week I actually went to the shops. I found myself donning my face mask to make a special trip to Tesco because some bargains you just can't get online. Whilst most people have been planning for the coming weeks by stockpiling toilet paper, pasta, uh, vanilla essence seems to be the most middle-class cry for help that we've experienced at the moment. Uh, but we've been planning even further ahead by thinking about Passover 2021, or 5781, as I think it should be called. Uh, we've been buying up boxes of matzah this week for 10p. Wow. Bargain. That is super Jewish. Yes, just to be clear, my the reason I think this was a Jewish act was because I was prepping for Pesach next year, not because I was saving money. If only the Israelites had planned that far ahead, we wouldn't be eating matzah. That's very true. What about you, Rachel? Had a particularly Jewish week? The most Jewish aspect of this week has been, uh, obviously, we're preparing more and more for this show. So I've been looking online to see if I can find Jewish celebrities that people might not realise were Jewish. And to my absolute amazement and the great despair of my teenage self, I discovered that, in fact, George Michael, singer George Michael, ex-wham George Michael, was actually Jewish, like his mother was an Ashkenazi Jew. Wow. I was so distraught because if only I'd known that back then, I could have married him. Well, yeah, I mean, I'd, I don't think that was the only thing standing in your way. That's what you think. <laughs> <laughs> I'm also intrigued that he came up in a search of possible guests for our show. Like his agent is still <laughs> putting him out there on the off chance that someone will do a seance. Like, I'm not being funny, but I think it'd be quite a coup for us if we got him. I think it'd be great. Yeah, great, but this isn't about us. We've got to introduce our guests. So we've got our first guest, who is an award-winning stand-up comedian. It is Lynn Ruth Miller. Hello, hello. Hi, yeah. Lynn Ruth. Hello, Hi. Ruth. How are you? I'm here, alive, alive. So Lynn Ruth, you are the oldest female Jewish comedian, I think possibly ever. So rather than have you just introduce yourself, have you ever thought about how you might want to exit the show? Well, I've already got the gig planned. When I'm 100, I'm going to be, I believe it's the Manford Theatre in Leicester. It's booked. And I'm going to do, I'm going to wear a gossamer gown. I'll be three feet tall. <laughs> I probably will be living in a soup can and my caregiver will be feeding me kosher gruel. But anyhow, I'm going to be at the Manford Theatre and I'm going to sing my heart out, literally. And then I'm going to pull a Tommy Cooper. And when the finale, at the end of the show, I'm going to drop dead. And it's already booked. It starts at 8, October 11th, 2033. It's been confirmed. So um, Jeff Rowe, he'll give you a link to the tickets. Yeah, it's, right. it's been confirmed. But I told him, I told him that I'm feeling so good lately that I may have to live another 10 years and we'll have to do a second finale. So after I drop dead, I'm going to rise up. I mean, listen, Jesus did it. And if anyone could be the host of a religion, I think that I think it's you. <laughs> you think I could start a religion? A religion yeah, would be, my religion would be everything is okay. It's okay. That's that's my religion. 
Yeah. And are you planning on beating Jesus's personal best of three days? No, no, I, no, no, I'm not going to do that. Because you never know, three days might be too long. I don't want to wow. push my luck. I'll rise from the dead immediately. Give me a few minutes, no. let, us, let us realize you're dead. No, no, I will, I will. I'll get, once I hear the gasp, <laughs> then I'll rise from the dead because I want, <laughs> I want the revenue from those tickets. Our second guest is musical comedian, Daniel Kaner. Hello, Daniel. Hello. I'm not sure about the musical comedian bit, but uh, but sure, musical storyteller. I think probably is more appropriate. Would, Although occasionally, uh, you know. Would I'm, you like me to go back and do that again? No, it's fine. Excellent. Well, let's bring on our second guest, who is musical storyteller Daniel Kaner. Did you say that I was award-winning? Because you said Lynn Ruth was award-winning. I'm award-winning too. How about that? Um, I'm hoping actually also that I might actually be able to open the bill for Lynn Ruth in 2033 at the, at the Leicester Theatre. Well, you're uh, welcome possibly. to do that. Thank you very much. I don't know if you heard our conversation with Lynn Ruth, but what do you think are the main things that the Jewish Chronicle would put about you one day in 120 years when it's your obituary? Hopefully they'll say that I was a unique musical storyteller that schlepped around the world telling stories about Jewish identity and trying to work out actually himself what it means to be Jewish. So uh, yeah, that's what I do. I write these sort of epic songs, some of them about family. Uh, talking of family, I can hear some. <laughs> We're living in difficult times. We like to start the show by asking all of our guests, what's the matter, Bubbler? What isn't the matter? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, everything's the matter and nothing is the matter. Hopefully we can we can make things a little bit easier for the next half hour or so. That would be our goal. Lynn Ruth, what about you? Uh, what's put you on Spilkers this week? I'm, I'm so tired of my own cooking. I am a crappy cook, and there's no schmaltz in the house, none. And besides my own cooking, I need a haircut. My hair is so long that my next-door neighbor mistook me for her poodle. I haven't had a cuddle in three months. I started talking to my teddy bear. <laughs> and the other part of my lockdown life is looking at people out the window that have legs. Right. Because I've, I've been spending my entire time looking at people on a screen. It's been a strange life, yeah. I've always struggled with words like schmaltz. I, schmaltz, I love schmaltz. For me, when you say you've missed schmaltz and you've missed cuddles, I think it might be the same thing. What? what no, is... no, it isn't quite. Schmaltz is the mainstay of my mother's cooking and I miss it. Do you people know what grievances are? Yes, grievenous. oh my goodness. I know. I haven't had a grievance since my mother died. A moment of silence because I want a grievance. Yeah, it's a, it's a... An onion that's been fried in schmaltz until it's crisp. Oh, so our grievances are um, chicken skin fried in chicken oh, fat. Oh, no, no, no. This is my mother onions. My mother, it's onions. Onions, and you fry them in chicken fat until they're really crisp. The chicken skin ones are basically kosher um, scratchings. That's what they are, no. kosher pork scratchings. But chicken our, scratchings. My, our, our schmaltz wasn't kosher because we were reformed Jews. Yeah, my, mother, my mother made a mean... <laughs> Ham and pineapple, my mother did. Yeah, I was to say my mother didn't. My Zaini used to tell my mother when she'd serve him dinner, if it's not kosher, the sin is on you. And my mother would turn absolutely white as a sheet. She would say, yeah, it's kosher. It wasn't kosher. God struck her dead, <laughs> but he made her suffer for six years. All because <laughs> she fed my Zaini non-kosher chicken. Yeah. 
God has ways. I'm not going to risk arguing with that. <laughs> I can't go along with all this uh, schmaltz and chicken and uh, all Oh, that what a shame. Because uh, I'm vegetarian and I have been vegetarian all my life since birth. My mother was vegetarian. So even actually keeping kosher has never been an issue. My Zadie was a kosher butcher. That's my father's side of the family. My mother's side of the family starved. And when my bubby on my mother's side of the family would go to the butcher to beg bones from the butcher, she was begging it from my father's father. So it was my father's father, my that's Zadie, that kept my mother alive so she could marry my father, which was my father's bad luck. But that was the way it was. <laughs> Was that in Tulsa or was that? No, no, that was not in Tulsa. Toledo, I mean, Toledo. Ohio. I knew it, it began Toledo, with a T already. Yeah. Some horrible <laughs> misogynist told the Holocaust victims when they saved them, the place to go is Toledo, Ohio. So we had a ton of Holocaust survivors. But I took care of their children. I, I, we worked for it, was called the Jewish Educational League. We didn't have a JCC. I was 14. And I would go there after school and I would take care of the Holocaust um, survivors' children. While they wow. went, engineers, doctors, lawyers, sweeping floors and cleaning toilets while they were trying to learn English. And never in my life have I seen anything like the way they loved those children. It was beautiful. It was the first time in my life I ever saw a child that was malnourished with a bad complexion and the, the no energy. Oh, yeah. It broke my heart. But there was a little kid there. The mother wanted this kid to be really, really American. His name was Herschel. And she wanted him to wear a yarmulke, but it was in America. So she got him a multicolored little beanie with a propeller on top. That was his, <laughs> that was his yarmulke. Herschel. He was the wow. cutest thing. Yeah. We have drifted very far from Schmaltz, Rachel. No, but, but this is brilliant <laughs> because this is a very much a Jewish podcast. And all we did was say... How are you? And you got an opera. That's it. That's Jewish. I don't know if you know this, but um, my son got engaged quite recently. Oh, lovely. And, tov. Thank yeah. you. I accept your muzzle toving. And um, Philip's story earlier actually just remind me of something, just all this talk about food. My um, daughter-in-law-to-be came to us for Shabbat lunch and was astonished when we brought out matzah because we eat it all year round. And it turns out that her family only eat it on Passover, right? They don't eat it the rest of the year. And it led to us like really quite heated debate that I like to think is going to carry on throughout their entire marriage like forever they're going to be discussing should you or shouldn't you have matzah so in this part of the show which we like to call bagel or bagel after the biggest argument that rumbles through Jewish families I think in the UK we want to ask you if there are any great broigases or disagreements or little petty arguments that have rumbled through your family from generation to generation so Daniel is there anything you feel that you want to share with the group well I have written about these uh, quite extensively <laughs> <laughs> so I don't really want to uh, spoil the experience of anybody that might want to come and see my shows and they've heard me tell the story here first. I mean, there are other Bruges, Bruges-ian, I suppose. Mike, is it? Can you? Is that a Hebrew plural for a Yiddish word? I don't know how that works. <laughs> I think that my grandparents, when we used to go and stay with them when we were little, used to smuggle uh, chicken soup down us actually, and I think it was a, a, a cause of some um, despair and upset to my mother, uh, amongst many other things, because there's always something the matter with her too. Uh, mm -hmm. But anyway, yes. So the idea of being force-fed chicken soup, or possibly even what was it, grievous? Grievous. Oh, 
Yeah. Yeah, Daniel, thinking, you don't know what you're missing. I, I <laughs> but, and therefore, I, I am not grieving the grievous. Lynn Ruth, is there anything that your family definitely wouldn't want you to tell us? Well, no, this is not about my family, but it's something that I was taught that when you're invited to go out for dinner, someone gives you a decent meal. And this happened in England, and I have never forgiven this man. His uh -huh. name was Warren. And I'm not going to tell you his last name because he was Jewish and somebody's going to know. But he invited me out for dinner and I got all dressed up and he took me to the bagel shop and he bought me two cream cheese bagels. And we ate them in the car outside a beautiful Indian restaurant. And wow. I have never, I have never forgiven him. I said to him, so this is dinner? And he said, yes. And I said, are you really Jewish? <laughs> and he said, yes. And that was when I realized that British Jews have no seichel, no seichel at all. Um, hashtag not all British Jews, I'd say. I would feed the life out of you. <laughs> yes, it would have been a very different race that you went on. With I, I, got, I got two. I took one home to remind me how cheap he was. Oi. Oi vey is all I can say. That's all I can say. <laughs> well, I, I, think, uh, I think we can see where the pain lies. <laughs> it was a uh, traumatic experience for me. Really, You're not reasons. inviting him to the gig in Leicester then? Is that, that's the Bruegers, isn't it? So, He's going to be dead by that time if I have anything to uh, say about it. <laughs> from my point of view, Lynn Ruth, on a personal note, I'd like to say thank you for t telling your story about a bagel and not a bagel. That, uh, that was <laughs> the bagel. We know that often the Jewish press like to latch on to any celebrity connection they possibly can. So we've adapted a famous phrase uh, and come up with six degrees of can't eat bacon. So we want to ask you, who are the most famous Jewish people that you would be related or personally connected to? Daniel, is there anyone that you're particularly fond of or have bragging rights to? Uh, uh, this whole bacon thing is, again, you know, a slightly offensive to me, as I've already said that I'm vegetarian and you're carrying on the meat theme and not taking into account <laughs> the sensitivity of your guests. I'm very happy, Daniel, to adapt it especially for you and say six degrees of can't eat bacon. <laughs> I don't like to name drop. <laughs> In my travels as an award-winning musical storyteller around the world, I have encountered one or two celebrity Jews, I suppose you might say. One of the most disturbing uh, experiences that I had was when I was asked to join Jackie Mason for dinner. It was very disconcerting because, first of all, he was holding court in a, a, a restaurant in the Upper West Side, which he does, and he was surrounded by various sort of uh, admirers. And I got seated next to him, absolutely, very, really close, like this close. And so he says, oh, so you're a comedian? I said, no, 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 not a comedian. But somebody had introduced me as a British comedian. So he says, uh, he says, well, I've been to London lots of times. I can't do the Jackie Mason voice, unfortunately. He's been to London lots of times. Have you seen my show? This was the funny thing in itself, was that he was still at the however old he is, because he won't actually say how old he is, unlike some people round here. Because then all you'll do is focus on his age, apparently, and you won't focus on the amazing talent that he is. He got really upset and really defensive and really angry. So you haven't seen him in my show, but I've been playing for the Queen. You know, Mrs Thatcher was my friend, and, and I was sort of shrinking into a slight hole because I had to say, well, look, Mr. Matt, I've seen your clips on 
on TV and uh, and also on YouTube, uh, but this wasn't good enough for me. As it happens, he hadn't seen any of my shows either. But that's, <laughs> um, and then for some reason, he's just got more and more heated up. He lost the plot slightly. So perhaps he was sensing underneath there that I was slightly disapproving. I thought it was a bit of an old dinosaur, unlike some people around here. And then he just got more and more angry. And so I said, well, yes, I'm, I'm, I'm great admirer of your work, Mr. Mason. And then he starts wagging his finger at me and he's just as close as this. If I could get even closer to the camera, he's doing this and he's calling me, you don't like Jackie Mason, you're an effing liar. And using the full word, uh, which I'm not going to, uh, you, you don't have to beep out now. You're an effing liar. You're an effing liar at the top of his voice in that Jackie Mason you know, sort of sound whole the restaurant goes completely quiet and uh you could hear a pin drop i was devastated actually i was almost in tears and i sort of very shortly after that sort of left the restaurant i came out then i thought i have been i've been you know shouted at by jackie mason i was terribly terribly upset that is a pretty good six degrees of uh can't eat bacon uh facon uh, for, and also, interestingly, Jackie is going to be on the show next week where his brother <laughs> is going to be this timeless English musical comedian came to yeah. see me and hadn't seen my shows. Do you know, I have a funny feeling that he is not dwelling on it in the same way that I am. Uh, but we could call this section a Six Degrees of Jackie Mason, could we not? Yeah, we'll that's, rebrand. That's <laughs> we'll rebrand. I like the idea that we could have a section which is just, who's the most famous person who's ever really shouted at you? Yes. I mean, and not just, you know, humiliated. It was awful, absolutely oh, awful. But you're over uh, it now. No, clearly not. Otherwise, <laughs> no. I could have told you about my many conquests and how many celebrities that I have really impressed. <laughs> uh, yes. Lynn Ruth. I want to tell Daniel that I took issue with that statement. I <laughs> am definitely past my sell-by date, and I'm still spewing it out. But my story is more positive. I don't know whether she's Jewish or not, but her name is Jewish, but it was Amy Schumer. And it would have been something like 2007 or 2008. Uh, she was headlining at the Punchline in San Francisco. And I was the host because in America, that's the bottom. That's the worst. You don't host like you do here. You do a set. You don't do, uh, do uh, audience work. And when I finished my set, she went to the booker, whose name is Molly Schminke, and she said, that woman is really funny. And then when the show was over, she took me up on the stage and she insisted on taking several photos with me. And because of Amy Schumer, and only because of Amy Schumer, Molly Schmenke continued to book me. Wow. I mean, that's every open mic comics dream, isn't it? That in the back of that room, it so there's happens that there's someone there who's going to pick you up and bring you to fame. She's the reason. And I saw Amy Schumer at Top Secret. And she came right up to me. She remembered me. And Lynn That's Ruth, amazing. I want to tell you, when you, you did email us earlier today to tell us that, that she was going to be your connection, oh. I Googled, because I wanted to see if the photo existed, as if it maybe does. she posted it on social media. No, no, no I'm, not, I'm not saying you are lying. <laughs> I, wanted to see, I wanted to see if she posted it on social media. So I Googled Amy Schumer with Lynn Ruth Miller and your photo on your own comes up before any of hers. You are more famous than she is. 
what if coronavirus destroyed civilization as we know it? And what if we are the last hope for humanity? Jews have a reputation of not being good at DIY. We can do your accounts for you, but don't ask us to put up the shelves afterwards. So what amazing survival skills do you have if we were in a situation of Jews versus zombies? I am coping with this coronavirus shutdown by painting a lot of pictures of beautiful women in beautiful diaphanous gowns and handsome men and delicious food because I'm not getting any of that. And that that's part of my lockdown life now. And the other thing I've been doing is saving squares of toilet paper, putting them away in case I need them when there's no more toilet paper on the shelves. So you have two amazing survival skills there for our group because you could be the one who retains the stories with paintings on the wall, but also maintaining the storage of the toilet paper, as we all know from our recent pandemic experience. That is not a small feat, right? No, no. Somebody has to have that job, surely. My mother always said one wipe is worth 20 drips, and I believe her. I believe her. That should have been the motto for our government. I'm slightly in shock. Did you hear that Lynn Ruth isn't getting any was what I took out of that. <laughs> I don't think that's true about Jews not being good at DIY. I can put oh. shelves up and things like that. It's a very Jackie Mason style generalization. It's I'm um, sorry I've awoken that for you. So you're going to be wagging your finger at me in a minute. Uh, <laughs> I, mean, I wouldn't say I'm bare grills, but I, what do we need? Uh, you know, in the in the post pandemic world, ultimately, when everything is falling apart, you know, what you need is you need somewhere to live and you need a garden and that's your needs fulfilled because you need to be able to grow stuff. I think I uh, I would be uh, quite adaptable and quite helpful. Well, that and that's really good to know that you would have the skills to help us out because I would probably if I needed to build something, get a man in so you can be that man. Clearly, you're both very talented people, but as performers, you must find that when you're at parties, people often look to you to provide the entertainment, especially when things start to dip a little bit with the atmosphere. And maybe you don't want to do your own songs or your own jokes. So Daniel, if laughter is the best medicine, why do we need chicken soup? There you go, with the, with the meaty <laughs> references again. That's it, I'm done, I'm out of here, I've had enough. <laughs> Hopefully he'll be back, because we, we need him, he can't hear us. He can't hear us, but here he is. Here he is. <laughs> they threaten. Have you noticed, Rachel? They always threaten. That was spectacular flouncing. I was very, and, very impressed. And, and they also, they always come back. Honey, they always come back because they're hungry. Well, it's, it's great to see how talented you both are. If laughter is the best medicine, why do we need chicken soup, vegetable soup, or whatever kind of soup you'd like to provide. So Daniel, do you have a favorite Jewish joke? I, I am grateful, Philip, that you took my sensitivities <laughs> into account there. <laughs> the thing is about Jewish jokes is that we all know them. Um, so I've got a list and uh, I'm gonna do the punchline and you're very welcome to add in the context. So for example, I like the one with the punchline, which is not last week, next week. <laughs> that joke yes you can, yeah. you can fill that in later that's joke number 77 uh, is that all you Jews think about uh, you know that one yeah you get the laugh and if we had them numbered I mean there is a joke about the numbered jokes of course I there is one too um, mm -hmm. yes exactly uh the one about the, the woman that goes to get converted and uh, the rabbi says, haven't you got enough problems already? I like that one. <laughs> and uh, and of course, the, my favourite one is, he had a hat. Ah, uh, we all know that one. That's exactly. a lovely joke. 
Very that's just good. a lovely joke. And so there it's you go. It's like a cryptic crossword. Yeah. Maybe, Lynn Roof, we could get you to give just the, the setup to a joke. <laughs> <laughs> so we wanted this show to be about Jewishness. What is the most Jewish thing about you? Ashkenazi Jewish thing, the, the neurosis. <laughs> I'm not Ashkenazi. I'm the other one. Okay. I'm, I'm a Jewish atheist. I was, I was looking at you thinking, hang on a minute, she's not yeah, yeah, Ashkenazi. Yeah. You couldn't get more Ashkenazi, could you? Well, I'm not neurotic. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was normal. And what about you, Lynn Ruth? What would you say is the most Jewish thing about you? I clean toilets. Everybody's toilets or specific toilets. Just when there's a toilet, I clean it. That's a beautiful story. Love it. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm so looking forward to hearing you tell that again in, in uh, 2033 in Leicester. <laughs> I, I, will try, I will try to do that if I still can project. I don't know whether my vocal cords will still be working. I may have to just put it on a screen. I don't want to get too excited because I want to last until I'm 100. I'm an archetypal Jewish mother, so I can't help but wonder when I meet anybody, have you eaten yet? Sanyal, have you got any specific food memories or anything important that's happened to you that's around the subject of Jewish food? I think I already gave that one to you earlier, actually, in the terms of being force-fed the chicken soup when I was a child. Have you got a happy memory? I haven't got any happy memories. I'm a Ashkenazi <laughs> Jew, for goodness sake. <laughs> My wonderful thing about a, a typical Jewish household, you walk into a Jewish household at any time of the day or night, and the mother of the house will say, stay for dinner. There were four of us. My father had ulcers. My sister had a weight problem, me, and my mother who was always dieting because she swore that if she ate, even looked at a piece of bread, she would gain 20 pounds. And my mother would cook for us. And one day, my uncle Jaime, that was his name. My uncle Jaime came over with six friends. And he walked in the house and my mother said, stay for dinner. And he said, Ida, there are seven of us. You're not going to have enough food. She said, I'll have enough. They stayed for dinner. We fixed them a complete huge dinner. And there was leftovers after we finished with the seven <laughs> extra people. And my mother was in tears as we cleared the table. My mother was in tears and she said what every Jewish mother says at the end of a meal, in tears. No one ate a thing. <laughs> that is literally my life. And in fact, I remember that I bumped into you, Lynn Ruth, at the Phoenix Arts Club a few months ago, and we were chatting, and I said to you, are you okay? You look a bit like, you know, something's on your mind. And you said, I've literally got no food in the house. I'm so stressed. I've got no food in the house. The fridge and the freezer are empty. And I said, really? Are they actually empty? And you went, yes, I've just got. And then you listed about 90 things. And I thought, that's why I'm exactly the same. I'd be exactly the same. Uh, it feels, the cupboard feels empty unless we can feed you for about six months. That's Jewish. Very Jewish. Can I, can I ask you what it was that your mother was feeding them at this point? Yes, my mother's signature dish, which is what she fed us, was spaghetti and meatballs with meatballs the size of a bull's cojones and garlic bread, a loaf of bread for each of us. And then for dessert, a pineapple custard cream cake with whipped cream. You were so full, you couldn't move. And my mother was a master 
at administering the second helping. <laughs> she could do it when you looked away. You just looked away, and when you looked down at your plate, more food. I'd like <laughs> to think she husband. called all those things something in Yiddish, just to make them sound a bit more Jewish. No, no, she would, it was spaghetti and meatballs. My mother was trying very hard to melt in. Remember, this was uh, the 40s, and mm. America was the melting pot. And my mother was very anxious to be like the Goyim. My father okay. changed his name from Isidore Rudolph to IR. Yeah, they were trying to melt in. They didn't want anyone to know they were Jewish. And Did all that they work? had to do, no, Changing they opened their mouth and they knew they were Jewish. What are you talking about? <laughs> one, one, five seconds and they're Jewish. You're Jewish. It's, it's, you can't escape it. You're Jewish. Well, that's nearly the end of the show, but we want to know where people can find you or hear about you. Normally we'd allocate about 20 seconds for this, but for you, 30. Facebook is just Lynn Ruth Miller. And on Twitter, it's Lynn Ruth. And then it's supposed to be lynnruthmiller.com. But I just discovered today that it's not working. So you can try lynnruthmiller.net, which is a strange website I've never seen before, but you can try that. Just go in your Google search bar and put Lynn Ruth Miller, and believe me, the screen will fill up. And not just with photos of Amy Schumer, so. No. <laughs> uh, and what about that? How can our audience find you? Well, the same as Lynn Ruth, really. Just look up Lynn Ruth Miller. Uh, no, look, up, <laughs> <laughs> look up Daniel Kane. See, there, there, it's written on the screen, right? Do a Google search, in fact, or try uh, Yidipedia. <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you very much. Uh, I've, I've loved this. I've had a really great time. I will always think of Lynn Ruth now as the person who would have used Griveners in order to make Amy Schumer her slave. And I will always think of Daniel as the person who would have picked a bone with Jackie Mason had he not been a vegetarian. Uh, <laughs> as my grandfather used to say, we loved seeing your smiling faces as you arrived and we'll love seeing your little tuchuses as you leave. So it's time to thank our guests, Lynn Ruth Miller and Daniel Kainer. Follow them on social media. Follow us on social media at Jew Talking without the G. And we look forward to you joining us next time on Jew Talking to Me. Jew Talking to Me was hosted by me, Philip Simon. And me, Rachel Krieger. It was produced by Russell Balkin. She's the reason that I got a consistent paying gig for the next 10 years because of Amy Schumer. Let me tell you what she said to me when I met her at Top Secret. She said, now that I have plenty of money, everybody's giving me gifts. But when I had nothing, nobody gave me anything. And I thought I should have given her a bagel. I should have done something. I didn't think. Or a, gr a, gr a, grieval, a grieving thing. What was that? What, a grivener. A grivener. A grivener. <laughs> She would have been my slave if I would have given her a grievance. <laughs>